Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Well, it's good to be back doing an episode again for the podcast for the church here. Um, I was away doing a few things as far as, well, mainly resting and recharging after Easter and um, taking some time off a couple days here and there uh, to spend time with my wife and just re recharge, rest, um, and... Uh, Re, re, recharge the batteries a little bit. So I'm glad to be back. Um, I hope y'all are glad I'm back too. Um, sorry that I did not continue with the congregation at prayer. There's a bit of a lapse there. Um, I might continue on with that. I don't know. I'm still working at the kinks of my regimen right now as far as what this new, what, what it's going to look like for the next couple of months as far as this pandemic goes and the easing of restrictions and, and coming back to church, possibly, we don't know. But there's a lot of stuff changing, a lot of, thi- a lot of things happening. I might just change over to a Bible study. I don't know. We'll see. But today, all that aside, today we're looking at the text for this coming Sunday, which is May 3rd, 2020. And in the historic one-year lectionary, this Sunday is known as Jubilate. Jubilate. That is not a drink from Starbucks, trust me. It is the Latin word for rejoice. And... This is where we get the word jubilation, uh, jubilee, right? Um, those sorts of words. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, let's let's just go ahead and dive in the text. I'll, I'll, I'll try and only spend about thirty minutes here. If I go a little bit longer, that's just you know, bonus for you. Um, and so let's begin with a word of prayer, which will be the collect for this coming Sunday. So, let us pray. Almighty God, you show those in error the light of your truth so that they may return to the way of righteousness. Grant faithfulness to all who are admitted into the, whole, into the f- fellowship of Christ's church, that they may avoid whatever is contrary to their confession and follow all such things as are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So, this Sunday is known as Jubilate. And if you've been paying attention to the last couple episodes, you'll notice that there are these words that are used in the historic lectionary uh, that are Latin, right? Where do we get these Latin words from? Well, if you've been paying attention, you know that it comes from the introit for the Sunday that it's on, because te- because these would be the first words that historically were spoken in the service. Um, and so we see jubilate, but in the introit, it's from Psalm 66. Uh, and like I said before, the intro it is all over the place. It's selected verses uh, chosen liturgically for a specific purpose, and it all centers around what the gospel is trying to say. Right. So the intro it is from Psalm 66, verses 3, 5, 8 through 9. The antiphon, which is the repeated uh, part of the intro it, is still Psalm 66, verses 1 through 2, and it sounds like this. So listen for the joy, the where the, jubil, where the jubilate, the jubilation would come in here. So here is the intro it. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Alleluia. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Alleluia. 
Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among among the living and has not let our feet slip. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Alleluia. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Alleluia. So here we see joy, right? Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Right, this imperative, right? Shouting for joy. Now, we're going to go ahead and skip ahead to the gospel text because this is what the, the whole Sunday is really all about is the gospel text. There's a lot here too, like I did the last couple times, I'm sure. Um, if if you all remember, I focused a lot on the gospel, but that's what the Sunday is all about. Excuse me one second, I'm going to take a drink of water. And we'll get started. So, this Sunday, the gospel is... The Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Let me just go ahead and read that, and I'll talk about it a little bit here. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. Jesus said, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that, that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking? Is this what you are asking yourselves. What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Pardon the creek there in my chair. So John 16, verses 16 through 22, you can start to see here where the element of joy is, right? That, and it's and it's very appropriate that this comes up right now in this time for talking about joy, right? You see this, this um, point where Jesus says, he's talking about there's, there's gonna be a small time here, a small time here, to his disciples, he says, where you will see me no longer, right? And if you know the, the structure of the Gospel of John, this is, this is before Jesus is to be delivered up by um, 
Judas to the Pharisees to the high priest and then to Pilate to be crucified, right? This is before his crucifixion, his death, his burial, everything. So he's telling them, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while you will see me. So when he's saying this, though, there's also this thing, this this part here from John where, he's, where they're adding in these previous verses from before, you know, where he says, because I'm going to the Father. His disciples are wondering, what is he talking about? He won't, we, we won't see him, and then we will, and because he's going to the Father, what, what, what does he mean a little while? What does that mean, right? And it's good Lutherans. We would ask that question. What does this mean, a little while? And so Jesus knows that they want to ask him, so he just flat out says, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by these things, right? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, right? That in the death of Christ, <clears throat> the world hates God, right? So we have to understand this, that the world, whenever we talk about the world in scripture, the world is is not a desirable thing. You know, um, in, in uh, I think it's in James, don't hold me to this, <laughs> I'm just pulling this off the top of my head. I think it's in James where um, it's written that friendship with the world is, is, is enmity toward God. That to be friends with the world means to be at odds with God, right? That the world is sinful. The world is fallen. It is a fallen thing now because of the fall into sin from Adam and Eve. So anytime we're talking about the world, it's not a good thing. It's not something to be desired. Um, we are not supposed to have love for the world in the sense that that's all we go after is pleasing those in the world, right? So um, truly, truly, I say, Jesus tells his disciples, and he says to us as well, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for a joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So why are we talking about sorrow? And why are we talking about joy? This Sunday is Jubilate Sunday, right? It's it's Jubilation Sunday. It's it's where we're supposed to rejoice. And in the intro it even says, right? Shout to joy, shout for joy to God, all the earth, Alleluia, right? Yeah, joy to God. But why is Jesus talking about sorrow? Well, it makes sense right now because in this world, uh, we as Christians who are sojourners, we are pilgrims through this world. We are not in we are in the world, but not of the world, right? You know that one. So they will weep and lament at the death of Christ and the world will rejoice because the world along with Satan will say, yes, he's dead. We got him. But then he, Jesus says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. This is also something, and this whole structure here also talks not only to the death and resurrection of Christ, but also in his ascension and his return in glory on the last day for the final judgment, right? It's, it's meaning both and. This is something that I think that, that, that a lot of theologians and a lot of Christians get into that's a mistake. They'll, they'll say, you know, it's either this or it's that. But we as Lutherans, we really annoy other Christians and we say, no, that is a false dichotomy, right? That 
it is not a both and it, it is not an either or it is a both and right he is talking about both the death his death and resurrection and his ascension and return in glory on the last day right and it makes sense truly truly i say to you you will weep and lament but the world will, will rejoice in this sense for us now we weep and lament because we're christians and we we just want the sin and the sorrow and the evil and the power of the devil to just be just, just want it to go away we want it to be gone right we're tired of it especially right now we can feel the effects of sin in this world with this pandemic where we're saying i'm just so sick and tired of all the death tolls the case numbers how many people are sick how many people have died i'm sick of it i'm sick of hearing all the bickering about the politics i'm sick of hearing all this stuff about you know being able not not being able to go outside without you know um gloves and face masks and what does this mean for us receiving communion there's a whole bunch of things that are going on right now in our world that just don't give us a whole lot of reason to be joyful you know so it's this interesting contrast we have here that being in this world we are faced with sorrow and as christians we are told by jesus right that in order to follow him we must pick up our cross daily and follow him that we as christians are not given a lighter load um, we are facing adversity day in and day out as Christians. The more aware we are of our own sin and um, the more aware we are of the sinful world, the more we cry out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, come quickly. End the sorrow and the pain that's going on right now, right? We are in this moment where Jesus is saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and I think, and I don't know if I've said this yet before in other episodes, but lamenting, lamentations are not a bad thing. When it comes to reading um, the Psalms of lament, we can learn a lot from those Psalms because they talk about it is giving a complaint to God because we are because God is the only one who can hear our complaint and do something about it, right? It's not a bad thing to complain to God. And that's something that's a problem right now uh, in american christianity where they say well i shouldn't come i shouldn't bother god with my problems i shouldn't complain to him about this that or the other it's like no go ahead he can take it right he can take it complain to him and read the psalms of lament to learn that you complain but you don't complain despairing of anything that could be done you complain with the hopeful expectation that God has heard your prayer and that God will deliver you either now or not yet, right? It's coming though. It's coming when we will all we all of us will be ultimately delivered. But we live in this world of now and not yet. I'm trying I'm getting ahead of myself. Here we go. So Jesus says, "Truly, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice." Right now, I think the world, even though there are a lot of people in pain, pe people are suffering, in some ways, certain people, certain parts of the world, they are rejoicing. A lot of places are facing these strict, strict rules, um, and people are getting really fed up about it, and others that hate the church are rejoicing, I would say, because they're able to put 
their thumb on the church in some ways, or they think they can, right? They think they can get the church to bend to their will uh, instead of to God's will. And I think you're going to start to see, in fact, there, there are a lot of churches that are in states and, and places that are, have, have these shut down, stay at home orders. And some churches, I mean, I can't speak for the other churches of other denominations, except to say that those who gather in large, large gatherings, 50 or more, whatever, during this time, it's no wonder you're seeing this disease spread. But when it comes to small or, or faithful congregations trying to worship in small numbers, trying to flatten the curve, obeying their government, obeying the authorities rightfully, they're trying to do these things. It's really hard because some churches are so big they can't logistically do it. We are a small enough church to where we can probably do that. In fact, we're looking at possibly doing something about that in this next in this next couple of weeks maybe to slowly start integrating more in-person services back in. We're trying to flatten the curve, but the sad thing is, this is another thing that brings to our sorrow, brings our sorrow to the forefront that mm, seems like no matter what we've been doing, it is only marginally helping. Now, I'm not a statistician. I don't know all the numbers and I'm not going to say doom and gloom or anything like that, but it is, it's pretty discouraging that it's not actually making as big of an impact as we thought it might. And sooner or later, we're going to have to, I think, realize that a lot of what we're doing is just kind of a stopgap. It, it really, all these models were just so we didn't overrun the hospitals, which is what it's, it's, it's working out that way very well. But in terms of nobody catching this COVID-19, the coronavirus, in terms of nobody coming sick, it's not realistic, right? There's sickness in the world. We are safe as much as we can be, and we try to be as safe as we can, but ultimately, you got to go to the grocery store, right? You got to go eat. You got to get out in the world. You have to do certain things in order to survive, in order to live. And for us in the church, we need to hear God's word. Thankfully, we have that in the things like this podcast, YouTube, a lot of things are going online, but it's not good enough, right? Especially for those of us that would love to receive the body and blood of Christ, we're having to do it privately or having to do it in small, small numbers. We're not able to do it the way we used to. And I think we're starting to see maybe how we might have taken it for granted in some ways too, that it was pretty easy to just come to church on Sunday, that it was so easy that it was neglectful. You could just easily not go. But we're seeing now that there's a lot of sorrow because we miss seeing the people at church. Hopefully you miss seeing the people at church. You miss, most importantly, receiving the body and blood of Christ. Um, that's something that I'm, I'm truly missing right now and I'm kind of sorrowful for. I can't worship with the saints here at Resurrection um, and receive the, the forgiveness of sins and the body and blood of Christ eaten and drinking you know, for the forgiveness of my sins. That's just a wonderful thing that I can't take. <laughs> So we're lamenting right now. We're sorrowful. But Jesus says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy. That is a promise that on the last day, when Christ returns, for those who are in Christ in faith, who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you will be eternally joyful because Christ will come back and wipe away every tear from every eye. He will do away with sin, death, and the devil 
ultimately once and for all. And that's where we get into this kind of weird now and not yet sort of thing. You have this promise right here and now that this this joy that is yours now in this promise, right? And he likens this, he compares this this sort of waiting in expectation, this enduring of the of carrying your cross in this world through the sinful strife of this life, you know, uh, as Paul Gerhard would say, uh, which is actually our hymn of the day for this this. Um, Sunday is Why Should Cross and Trial Grieve Me, a beautiful hymn. But he likens it to a woman giving birth. She has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And this is hitting home for me, especially right now, because my wife is pregnant and she's due in August. And we're contemplating, you know, thinking about oh, how painful is this going to be? How, how hard is she going to squeeze my hand sort of thing when I'm there with her in the delivery room? But we know that, that once it's all over, that there's joy there. A new life has been made, has, has come into the world, right? There's joy there. And you don't even remember the anguish. You don't remember the sorrow. That is our promise right now through Christ that in the day of his returning, in the day where he will return to, to be our judge, as we say in the Te Deum, that when he returns to be our judge, we will be vindicated ultimately, and there will be no more sin, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more strife. So we can look forward to that day and say, do your worst, right? Satan, do your worst to me. The worst thing you can do me is kill me. The worst thing you can do is that I is bring me death. And if that's the worst thing you can do, you know, it's nothing. Because for us, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We get to be with Christ eternally in heaven. And then on the last day, we will be reunited with our bodies into paradise, in, into, into the new heavens and the new earth, as we see in Revelation, right? So he says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. And no one can take your joy from you. Not with the understanding, not with the understanding that only comes through the Holy Spirit, that Christ has died for you, that he has sacrificed himself, he has paid for your sin once and for all, so that you could rejoice and know that you will live forever, right? So I've spent a lot of time on this, but like I said, this is a... There's a lot here. Um, it has to do with the death and resurrection of Christ. It has to do with full atonement being made. It has to do with the final judgment, right? The ascension into heaven for Christ and, and just all the wonderfulness of the incarnation that that, that 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 means, that our body and soul has been redeemed and, sanct and justified, right? And we are being sanctified by that work of Christ as well. It's all good stuff. So... Something to keep in mind during this time, especially during this time of pandemic, where we're sorrowful, we're tired of all the restrictions, we're tired of all the possibilities of putting people in danger, right? Our loved ones in danger of contracting this virus. But we'll go on from here. We'll, we'll take a look at the Old Testament. So keep all these things in mind as far as being joyful, this contrast, this um, juxtaposition of the sorrow and joy. Let's look at our Old Testament text real quick uh, before we run out of time here. Our Old Testament text for Jubilate Sunday is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 through 31. And this is something that is very recognizable. I'll, 
I'll read through it and then I'll just speak, speak briefly about it. Um, the Old Testament, Isaiah 40, 25-31. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're we're looking here. This is a who doesn't know <laughs> who doesn't who who isn't at least aware of this text, right? I mean, pet peeve of mine. This is one of those texts that gets taken out of context or is applied so liberally along the lines of you know uh, Philippians and Jeremiah, where where you know it's like for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, or um, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These things that are meant to uplift us, and and rightfully they should, they should uplift us. But it's funny when you see these on you know sports banquets and things you know um, that you know. Uh, he does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is, un- you know, he gives power to the faint and to him who has might, you know, it's like, uh, but they who, they'll take that one verse, verse 31 at the end, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Well, okay, you've totally taken it out of context if that's all you're looking at because this verse, this this whole section here it's not about being strong. It's for the weak. It's not for winners. <laughs> it's for losers. <laughs> this whole text, this whole text of Isaiah is for those who are downtrodden. It's for those who are beat up. It's for the weak and the losers. And, you know, for me personally, it makes me think of me and all of my shortcomings. And I it makes me think of my stutter, and it makes me think of um, any, any other number of insecurities I have about myself, right? It, it's not supposed to say, you know, um, yeah, go out and do what you want because God's on your side. It's to say, you're a loser. <laughs> it's to say that you are weak. It's to say that you are nothing, nothing without God. Right? It's for the faint. You know, it's a, he, it says, verse 29, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, right? This is not putting trust in yourself. It is putting trust in God for they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, right? That for all these things, we cannot put trust in our own bodies, we cannot put trust in our own abilities or else we'll make them an idol. Like we can trust them only so far, but to 
put them above all things and to say that, oh, well, I'm young and I'm not going to get this virus or I'm not going to this, that, or the other. I can go out and I can drink and I can drive and this, that, and the other. I can put trust in how good a driver I am even when I'm drunk or something. It's foolishness. It's absolutely foolishness. That's just one example. There's other examples, right? Um, putting your trust in your wealth, making an idol of something of your own, right? It's not, about, it's not what this is about. This passage is not for the strong, it's for the weak. Remember that, basically, basic thing. It's not for winners, it's for losers. Um, really, me saying this is not going to stop sports teams from using the, these verses out of context. It's, it's not going to stop people from using them wrongly, but I, at least think about it, right? And if you do use it, be ready to tell people what it really means, right? It means that I am weak. I can't do anything without God. I'm weak without the Lord. You know, it's for the losers who rightfully acknowledge it, the fact that they are nothing without God, and they realize that true strength comes from God alone, right? We have no power to save ourselves. God is the only one who can do that, right? Okay, so that's one of my little pet peeves. There's so much more there, but you can see that this matches up with the theme of joy, jubilation, right? That... God is the one who lifts us up. God is the one who, when we are downtrodden and rightfully sorrowful for our sins, rightfully understanding just who we are by ourselves apart from God, God is the one who comes by the power of the Holy Spirit through hearing God's word. We hear these things and we say, yeah, I am faint. Yeah, I have no might. I have no power within me, right? I have, as we say in the confession absolution in certain settings of the divine service, um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but if, but, um, but if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's from 1 John, right? Or one of the, one of the Johns. <laughs> um, so you see here that this is not about being strong. It's about being weak. It's about acknowledging your weakness before God and asking him to forgive you of your sins because that is the only thing that grants eternal life. And that is only one through the blood of Christ, right? Moving on to our epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 20, moving right along. Um, I know it's about 30 minutes, but I'll, I'll go a little bit longer here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 20. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the, ignorant, uh, the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 
For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we see this here. Can you see how it lines up a little bit with the jubilation, with the joy and the sorrow? Um, that we are sojourners, right? We are travelers. We are foreigners in this land, in this world, being new creations in Christ as Christians, those who are baptized and raised from the dead in, in the blood of Christ. We are, we are new creations. We are not of this world now, those who are in Christ. So as sojourners and exiles, we should abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our souls, as Peter says. St. Peter says. He's talking, I know this sounds a lot about, this is all very good, but he is talking about the law, right? But he's talking about it in a new sense, right? Those who are free, we are free in Christ. We are not burdened by the punishment of the law as those who are new creations, new creatures in Christ. But we joyfully do these things. It's not that we have to do them anymore. It's that we get to. We get to live free, but we get to use our freedom not in a way as we cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. And this is shown in showing honor to everyone, especially loving the brotherhood, especially loving those who are other brothers and sisters in Christ, by fearing God and by also honoring the emperor, by being subject to the institutions, you know, the emperor as supreme, whoever is in charge of the land, or, as gover- or to governors as sent by whoever is in charge, right? the president, the emperor, um, the king, the queen, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. These, these are all for good. These are all for honor. And right now, that's probably really hard for a lot of people because of all the quarantines, the, the shelter in places, the stay-at-home orders. People are pushing against it. And Americans are notorious for bucking authority. Uh, But in some ways, it's been very encouraging that people have been listening to the authorities, staying home. But I think there's a fine line to be walked where we, we pay attention to the authorities, we respect them, we pray for them, right? We honor them, we listen to them, we obey, but only in as much in as far, insofar as they are not having us or mandating us go against God's will. There's been some things about, you know, um, uh, just totally, even even when churches have, it's it's kind of a weird time we're in. I'm not going to get too far into this, but when churches are respectfully petitioning the governors of these states that are really um, locking down heavily saying, can we at least meet, you know, 10 people or less? And the government says, no. Absolutely not. It's hard to say that that's really warranted. Um, it's hard to say that that is really for the ultimate good. Um, it just—it's just heartbreaking. It's—it's it's heartbreaking to see. I, I give thanks to God that we're in Texas and that we have um, authorities and govern and the governor um, has made has, has declared, you know, in the eyes of the government that church is essential. We just have, to, but that goes with certain precautions, right? We have to be safe. We have to be as safe as we can be, as smart as we can be about these things. We don't want to put people in danger, but we also don't want to say that 
this virtual worship is just as good as worshiping in person, receiving the body and blood of Christ in person. Um, there's all there's been some things about um, virtual communion and things like that that um, honestly have not really been um, very helpful in these times. I know that certain churches and pastors are trying to do the right thing, trying to be loving towards their their people. Um, but in the end, I think it's just going to be more problematic than anything. Um, it's going to raise more questions than really bring comfort. Um, that's another topic for another day. I'm not going to get too far into that. Um, but if you do have some questions about that, feel free to get in touch with me. Um, I have some great resources to point you to. But that's not the point of this. The point of this is that we have this Sunday coming up in the one-year lectionary. For those of us who are on the one-year, uh, the historic one-year lectionary, this Sunday of joy. There's a Sunday of joy in the midst of all this sorrow, in the midst of all this strife and sadness. And yet, you know, in the midst of all this, God comes with his word for us to hear, for us to hold fast to, for us to believe, for us to grasp by the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives us, for us to realize that we can be joyful in the midst of all this sadness, that we can be, because Christ has died for our sins, and that in dying for our sins, he has freed us from the power of sin, death, and the power of the devil. He has freed us from these things so that Satan will torment us, and he'll say, oh, <clears throat> I don't know, should you really get out? Should you really get around other people, especially other Christians? I mean, you know, you don't really need to go to church, do you? You don't really need to go receive the body and blood of Christ. That's just something that you should receive every, every once in a while. You're good enough, right? You're good enough without it. It's fine. You're strong enough in your faith. You're good. Well, sorry, you're not. I mean, if anything from our thing from Isaiah 40, God's grace is for the weak. God's forgiveness is for sinners. And if you don't need to hear God's word, and you don't need to receive the body and blood of Christ, then you're saying that you're not a sinner, <laughs> effectively. Um, that's pretty crass. I mean, I know there's nuances to it, but that's effectively what you're saying. That's kind of what, what Luther was saying. Um, for those, if they don't think that they need the supper, what should they do? <laughs> and Luther says, right, um, he says, touch yourself, uh, you know, pinch yourself, where it's like, hey, you know, do you still have flesh? Right um, when he says um, <laughs> when it says um, what should uh, people do? Um, well, I'm looking for it, and uh, oh yeah, he says. But what should you do if you are not aware of this need and have no hunger and thirst for the sacrament? He writes in a small catechism. To such a person, no better advice can be given than this. First, he should touch his body to see if he still has flesh and blood. Then he should believe what the scriptures say of it in Galatians 5 and Romans 7. Second, he should look around to see whether he is still in the world and remember that there will be no lack of sin and trouble as the scriptures say in John 15 through 16 and in 1 John 2 and 5. Third, he will certainly have the devil also around him who with his lying and murdering day and night will let him have no peace within or without 
as the scriptures picture him in John 8 and 16, 1 Peter 5, Ephesians 6, and 2 Timothy 2. So there's all these reasons why we need to come to church. There's all these reasons why we need to receive the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And anyone who says, I'm good, I don't need it, well, they need to be admonished gently, <laughs> preferably, to, you know, to believe and hold fast to the promise of God that is found there. So, but that makes it hard right now because how do we receive the body and blood of Christ in a safe way, right? Um, this is something I say in my sermon and something that I think needs to be repeated and needs to be echoing um, um, in our ears right now that <clears throat> the body and blood of Christ, that, that receiving the body and blood of Christ in the Holy Communion Nowhere in Scripture is it promised that is that it is an absolutely safe thing to do. There is a risk involved. Um, right now, there is a risk of catching something. You know, we can only be so sterile. I can wear gloves and wear uh, a face mask. I can wear. I can wear. Um, yeah, I can wear a face mask. I can wear gloves, and I can keep things as sterile as possible. Right? We can do all that we can by having more fortified wine, by using Everclear on the purificators, the little cloths that we wipe the chalice down with. We can, we can use hand sanitizer all the time, but it's never going to be absolutely safe to receive the sacrament. Yet it's still a blessing for us. God calls us to receive this blessed body and blood of Christ in the Holy Supper. And that is not something that we should neglect. And... We are not going to be reckless, but we're not going to be scared either. We're not going to be cowering to the fear of death in this case, that it is a blessing to receive the body and blood of Christ in certain circumstances, especially right now when we need that comfort of the assurance of forgiveness of sins. When we need the source of joy to be with us, Christ, right? He is where his word is preached and his sacraments are rightly given. We need these things now more than ever. And hopefully soon here at Resurrection, we'll be able to do that. Um, we'll be able to have, you know, a few groups come through and um, have somewhat normal, regular church service. It's not going to be the same. We're going to have to adhere to certain precautions. We want to keep people safe as possible. But we also want to provide the good gifts of God so that people can realize that death has no more dominion over us because it has no dominion over Christ. And we who are in Christ, though we're sorrowful now, though we're fe really feeling the weight of our sin, really feeling the weight of the sin in the world, we trust Christ when he says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So, in a nutshell, that's this Sunday, Jubilate Sunday, um, which is, uh, depending on how you count it, uh, either the fourth Sunday of Easter or the third Sunday after Easter, depending on how you count it. But it is... Jubilation Sunday, basically, Jubilate Sunday. So be joyful in the fact that Christ has died for you. He has forgiven you all your sins. 
And this gift and this promise of forgiveness of sins, God's grace, his mercy shown to you, is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'll work on uh, doing these more often. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. Um, I pray that this will bless your worship um, on watching our our site, uh, our services online on YouTube. Be sure to um, tune in or watch it afterwards, after the fact. I usually try to make these premiere on YouTube. I might try it on Facebook too, to make it premiere on Facebook as well. So you can watch it on YouTube or Facebook at 10.30 on May 3rd, Sunday, May 3rd, 2020. Um, With that, um, may you go forward with the blessing of the Lord. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.